coming uh, Sunday night will be our uh, annual Thanksgiving dinner. What is our 22nd? Our 21st, I'm sorry, 21st annual um, church-wide Thanksgiving dinner. And so it's going to be a great time. I hope you are making plans to, to participate in that. And we believe Father's going to speak powerfully uh, to us that morning. And then we're going to just come back and eat at 6. We're not going to have any kind of service that night other than just the fellowship time. So it's going to be a, uh, a great day all day together. Praise God. If you um, have your Bibles tonight, let's begin in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Hebrews 11 and 6. Praise God. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 6. I don't, I'm, I don't have the ability to put it on the screen tonight, so if you don't have your Bible, maybe look on with your neighbor. And... Um, Amen. Hebrews eleven six. I would like to encourage you to um, commit this verse to memory. It's a uh, one of my life verses. It's, it's a verse that I memorized as a as a teenager, and and um, it's, Amen. It just carries a lot of important truth and wisdom along with it. Hebrews eleven six. I believe everybody's found it by now. It says, "But without faith." It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, I think the first thing we can take away from this passage is that faith is important. It's important to our Father. We've said in the past, and I'll remind you again tonight, that all of his ways are the ways of faith, that it's a faith so that it might be according to grace. And like is the case with so many things, you know, people can and do question this, and why is this important? And, and you know, we have really tried to take the time to explain these things and answer these things. But the bottom line of it is, Father is the one who determined all of this. In other words, he has set up a system for your success, and that system has at the heart of it, of course, him, and what he's done for you, and what he's provided for you, and what he's given to you already in the realm of the Spirit, but we see that faith is how we participate in that realm. Faith is how we connect with those things. Faith is how we receive. Amen. And so... It's one thing to be given a gift. It's another thing to receive that gift. Are you, are you saying, and I, I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but it really is that simple. So it's impossible to please God apart from faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Now, as we get rolling tonight, <clears throat> I want to break down just a couple of words. I'm going to do it real quick. But if you'll notice... Um, in the last half of this verse, we see the word is used twice. Must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the two things we must believe, and we see the word is is used in both of those phrases, must believe that he is, must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the first phrase, must believe that he is, this phrase comes from the Greek meaning to exist must believe that God exists okay 
And I think that's, I think, how do I say this? It's kind of obvious. In other words, you got to believe he exists if you're going to reach out to him in the first place. Must believe that he exists. But now, this is the interesting part, and this is why I wanted to begin here tonight. The next use of the word is, is a different word. Not the same word, that means exist. This word, the transliteration of it is genomai, G-I-N-O-M-A-I, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If not, I'm going to say it confidently and you'll think I know what I'm talking about, amen? It's genomai, it's a completely different word and it carries with it a completely different meaning, completely different idea. So, must believe that he exists and that he, genomai, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, what is the difference here? When it says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, is in this phrase, that word is in this phrase, comes from a different word and literally means, listen carefully, he will prove himself to be a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He will prove himself to be a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's how weast translates this passage. And then Marvin Vincent, another Greek scholar, his comments on two different original words translated into our English word is, go something like this. He says, Vincent says, he who approaches God has, through faith, the assurance that his seeking God will result in good to himself. Again, I know that's kind of wordy. Vincent was uh, one of those old school guys, all right? One more time. He who approaches God has, through faith, the assurance that his seeking God will result in good to himself. I like to say it this way. It'll always be worth your while. Any effort you put towards seeking God will never be wasted effort. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. One little translation says, of those who seek Him out. But now, there's one more little twist to this. And I think this is going to maybe help you see this passage, this important passage, Hebrews eleven six, maybe in a light that you've never seen it before. So again, a little bit wordy. It helps sometimes. Oh, look at you doing all these multiple taskings. Can you, can you put slide number seven on there? Somebody give Christy a hand, man. She's running the camera and running the computer tonight. All right. So that was really weak, but I think y'all mean, she, you mean more to them than that applause indicated, Christy, I promise you. Amen. Amen. See, it's, it's kind of like when they got just a couple of words off on that course before we started church. You never even know they're back there unless something goes wrong up here, right? That's, amen. That's, and that's how good they do their jobs. Amen. Thank y'all so much. Yeah, so so this, is, this is what Marvin Vincent goes on to say about this passage. God's beneficent will, that means like think beneficial, you know, God's beneficent will and attitude toward the seeker are, are not always apparent at the first approach. In such cases, there is occasion for faith in the face of delay that diligent seeking will find its reward. 
Okay? So what is he, what is he pointing out here? When, when he says that, that, that he who ap- approaches God through faith has the assurance that his seeking will result in good to himself, Wiest again says that is in this phrase comes from a different word and means he will prove himself to be a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And then I think Vincent puts the bow on it when he says that um, the, 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 the reward or God's uh, beneficent will and attitude towards those who seek Him, it's not always apparent at the first approach. It's kind of like if you go to the Y one time and then go home and look in the mirror, and you're like, man, I just wasted an hour. That didn't do any good. Amen. Well, again, the rewards uh, come later. Are Are you with me? And so that's what he's saying here, this idea of diligently seeking Him believing that he is a rewarder, that, that sometimes the, the rewards are not immediate, but we dig in and hold on with faith. This is uh, my one last take on this, and then we'll keep moving. If the rewards were full and immediate, there would be no need for faith. Are you following what I'm saying? If, if, if the, the moment that you know, we sought God, it was just boom, instant, well then, you know, faith would not be a factor in this. So again, if the rewards were full and immediate, there would be no need for faith. Now, last week I introduced you to uh, a new word, um, and, and, and that word is faithmatics. I know some of you are like, is he really going back there? And we are, amen. Faithmatics. Um, it means to carry out and accomplish by the established manner of faith. And we said that we are all becoming faithmaticians. Amen? So let me give you the definition of a faithmatician. A faithmatician is someone with extensive knowledge and skills in the use of faith to solve otherwise impossible life problems. A faithmatician. Someone with extensive knowledge and skills in the use of faith to solve otherwise impossible life problems. Turn with me now to Matthew, the 17th chapter. Matthew chapter 17, praise God. Now, one of the things that a faithmatician is able to do is, he's, is, is he or she is able to look at the, the process of faith, the machinery of faith, and troubleshoot it. In other words, if, if, if faith is not producing the results that it should otherwise be producing, um, someone who is very knowledgeable and skilled in the use of faith would be able to, to look at that uh, situation in their lives and, and by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God uh, understand, amen, why... Uh, the faith is not producing the result that it should be producing. Now, the ultimate faithmatician was Jesus. Amen. Um, every problem he solved, he solved as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit, by faith. See, we, we, we sell uh, him short and cut ourselves off at the knees when we put him in this category of, yeah, but he was Jesus. Remember, he is our example. 
And He set the example for us to learn from and to follow. Amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 17, let's begin at verse number 14. It says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Him, Him being Jesus, kneeling down to Him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, let me... I feel compelled to do this. I don't want to spend but just a moment here. But the translation in the New King James Version translate this word epileptic. Okay? In the King James Version, we see a different translation, and that translation is lunatic. Okay? Now, obviously, that's not a common term, and I would dare say it's probably not a politically correct term uh, in, in our day and age. If you go into the original language and, and find this word, uh, the, the original word that's translated lunatic, King James, epileptic, uh, new King James, what you literally find is a Greek compound word that basically says moonstruck. Moonstruck. And this particular word, again, translated moonstruck, translated uh, lunatic, translated epileptic. It could be used both in situations where someone um, had a physical condition, a physical ailment, right? So think in terms of, you know, someone that has a, a, a problem with the organic functioning of their brain. Um, born again, spirit-filled man or woman, amen, that's redeemed from the curse of the law, but may struggle in, in an area with some epileptic symptoms, right? So the word could be used to mean a physical condition, but it was also used interchangeably to speak of someone that was demonically possessed. And clearly in this case, the symptoms of moonstruck, the symptoms of lunatic, the symptoms of epilepsy, right, as we would understand it in our day and age, were not uh, physical ailments, but instead were a result of a demonic possession. And one of the ways that we see this is that this little boy, when he would have these episodes, is he wouldn't just have an episode, he would have an episode when he was near a body of water and the, and the demon was trying to drown him. Or he would get near a fire and the, and the demon would at that moment seize him and, and try to throw him in the fire and, and, and literally kill him. Are you following what I'm saying here? I'm not saying that's the, the only uh, you know, way to distinguish the difference between uh, something that's physical in nature versus a you know, demonically, you know, demonic spirit behind it in nature. But that is certainly one of the key ways. 
So I'm, I've said all that to say, you know, because, you know, somebody may say, well, man, I, my, my, great aunt, my great aunt on my mother's side, you know, she, she dealt with these things. That doesn't mean she was demon-possessed, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Are you, are you with me? All right. So, but in this case, this little boy clearly was. He clearly was. And so they brought the little boy to Jesus' disciples when Jesus was not with them. Jesus was with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. So this is when we pick up the story, when Jesus came back to them. Jesus is coming back, and this scene is, is already unfolding. And the disciples have already attempted to cast the devil out of this little boy, but the, the devil has not come out of him. And so now the father is asking Jesus if he will do something about this, and Jesus cast the devil out of the child. Verse 18, uh, Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, later the disciples are going to ask Jesus why they couldn't do what he did. And Jesus is going to give them a very straightforward answer. He said, you could not cast him out because of your unbelief. It had nothing to do with Jesus being apart from them. In other words, Jesus did not say, you couldn't cast him out because I wasn't on the scene. He didn't say, you couldn't cast him out because I was more than 300 yards away from you. And, and you lost connection, right? You, you're, uh, you were too far away from the tower. No, see, no, none of that. Jesus also did not say, nor did he say, you were in over your heads, boys. You bit off more than you could chew. There's a lot of people read this and, and they, they almost think that Jesus' answer was something to the effect of, what were y'all thinking trying to cast that devil out of that boy in the first place? But that was not Jesus' answer. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, not because I wasn't there, not because you were in over your heads, not because you, know, you had no business trying, not because demons are hard to cast out, he said, you didn't cast it out. You weren't successful because of your unbelief. Amen. Now listen, the sooner we can, we can come to the heart of the problem, the better we can go after the answer. And this is one of the devil's tactics, right? He tries to tell us kind of, aren't you glad the disciples didn't say, or Jesus didn't say something like, well, it just wasn't God's will. Or it just wasn't God's timing. You know, it, it's, not that, it's not that, you know, God didn't answer. You know, I, this one right here makes me just want to, like, you know, scream. Amen. It's that, it's that sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. You know. And so, no, no Jesus, Jesus, none of that crazy stuff, right? Jesus says, there's one reason and only one reason that you couldn't cast the devil out of that boy. is because of your unbelief. Amen. Well, you know, give it to us straight, Jesus. Why don't you? Give it to us straight so we don't waste time 
you know, chasing rabbits. We don't waste time, you know, building, you know, our own, you know, excuse-riddled doctrines. Give it to us straight so we'll know what we got to focus on to get some results. Are we man enough and woman enough to say that? Amen. Now, Jesus said in verse 17, O faithless and perverse generation. Faithless doesn't mean without faith. It literally means refusing to believe. Unbelieving. They had faith, they just weren't using it or didn't know how to use it in this situation. Faithless and then perverse. Again, this is another one of those words that means something different in our day and age than it meant in Jesus' day and age. Of course, he didn't say it in English. He said it in Greek, but now it's been translated, you know, hundreds, how many years ago into um, English. But yet in our day and age, perverse means something completely different to us than, than what its true meaning carries. And if I could just be perfectly honest with you, I've tried to just get away from that word and go and talk about something else. But the Holy Spirit keeps bringing me back to it because again, Jesus is making a declaration here. He's diagnosed, he's troubleshooting. The greatest faithmetician who ever lived is revealing to us a problem that, that we need to understand. He wasn't just calling them names. See, I think that's the other thing. When we hear something like this, we, we think that Jesus was like, you know, like shaming them or, or, or you know, speaking down to them or being condescending towards them. Absolutely not. Jesus is not name calling here. He's not... Uh, putting people down or trying to embarrass or humiliate somebody. He said faithless and perverse generation as much for us in our day as He said it for them in their day. Amen. Now, this word perverse. When Jesus said they were faithless and perverse, He said they were unbelieving and perverse or unbelieving and distorted okay so what Jesus is 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 wanting to communicate again not just to them he's trying to communicate it to you and me he looked ahead in time and saw me and you sitting here November 13th 2019 and how this would 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 be explained and so that we could understand it. When he said faithless and perverse, he's saying, this is messed up. That's how we would say it right here. He's saying, this is messed up. This is not how this is supposed to work. This is not how this is supposed to be. This is not how Father intended for all of this to play out. It's perverted. It's messed up. It's upside down. It's broken. That's what he's saying here. Now, I think 
it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus is clearly on the side of the disciples should have been able to handle this. So perverse means altered or distorted. Hence, to give a misleading or false impression. Please dial in with me for just a few more minutes here. This is so important. Jesus, when He said this is perverse, He's saying that it's painting an unnatural picture. It's giving a false account and it is a complete misrepresentation of the way things really are. He's saying what happened that day with the disciples is a false account. So this takes us back then to what actually happened. Which again, according to Jesus, what actually happened was a misrepresentation. So what actually happened? The disciples told a demon. Come on, I'm going to break it down for you. Can I break it down for you? The disciples told a demon tormenting a little boy to come out and leave and the demon did not obey them. And Jesus said, that's messed up right there. That's not how this is supposed to go. That is a complete misrepresentation of the way things really are. This is painting a false picture. This, this, is, this, is, this is giving a false account and it is misleading because it is misrepresenting how these things are supposed to be and how they're supposed to work. According to Jesus, the demon refusing to obey the disciples is giving a false impression. I know I'm being repetitive here. You just be repetitive with me. According to Jesus, the demon not obeying them, not obeying the disciples, gave a false impression, painted a wrong picture, provided a false account, and was a complete misrepresentation of the things, of the way things are supposed to be. Let me give it to you real simple, right? In other words, the demon should have left the boy immediately. When the disciples told that demon, get your hands off that little boy and leave him now, that that demon should have made haste and left there. But the devil didn't leave the little boy. He kept tormenting him. The devil basically was, nah, 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 boo, boo, you can't make me go. And this is what Jesus said was perverse. This is what Jesus said was a complete misrepresentation. Because if you think about it, this event makes it look like humans don't have authority over demons. It gives the false impression that demons are somehow hard to cast out when Jesus did it with the finger of God. It gives the false impression and makes things appear that only Jesus can cast out demons, that humans are perhaps subservient to and should even fear demons. It gives the false impression that humans are no match for demons. And of course, all of these are 100% false. And interesting enough, this biblical account gives a lot of people pause to this day when it comes to casting out demons. To this day! People who believe 
that this is something that the church should be doing today. Still, this, this account gives them pause. Well, you know them disciples. Can I give you a correct view of how these kinds of encounters are supposed to go? The correct view as opposed to a perverted or distorted one? We find it in Luke the 8th chapter among other places. Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. I hear you turning, so I'll give you a minute. Praise God. Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, You can't do anything about me, Jesus. Is that what he said? He cried out, Jesus, you're wasting your time. I'm not going. Is that what he said? He cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. You know what torment means? It means to interrogate while torturing. Don't torture me, Jesus. Don't ask me a bunch of questions. Don't make me miserable. Don't hurt me, Jesus. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. And, was kept, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Who's in charge here? Jesus steps foot on gathering soil, and this demon-possessed man that nobody can tame, they can't even keep him in clothes. They can't even chain him up out in the graveyard where they're hiding their swine. This man is public nuisance number one. He terrorizes the children. Nobody knows what to do with him. He's, he's a nuisance. They'd shot him in the head a long time ago if they could have, but they knew that was wrong. And so they're trying to do something with this man. And now Jesus shows up, and the demons in this man fall at Jesus' feet and begin to beg him not to torture them, begin to beg him not to uh, torment them and interrogate them. They, they beg him not to send them into the abyss. You know what that means? The bottomless pit 
that Satan is going into, according to Revelation, I think it's chapter 20, verse 1, he'll be thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. This tells me that devils and demons know their future. And they're begging Jesus, Jesus, just don't send us to the bottomless pit now. It's not right, not now, not now, no, Jesus. They're screaming and begging for mercy. So which of these is accurate and which of these is perverted? Disciples unable to cast out one demon that obviously could not have been in that boy for very long because he was a little boy. One demon in a little boy for a short period of time versus a legion of demons in a grown man that had been in him, the Bible says, for a long time. Yet the legion is begging not to be tortured or thrown into the abyss. Why is it that we get our understanding of casting demons out from the disciples trying and failing instead of this accurate picture? Are you see what I'm saying? This is, this is not a perverted, distorted picture. This is how it really is right here. Jesus. All right? So we're troubleshooting now. And to troubleshoot, you've got to look a little closer. According to Jesus, why did the demon not leave when the disciples told it to go? This is the same question the disciples asked. We're just phrasing it a different way. The disciples said, why could we not cast it out? Why could they not cast it out? Or why did the devil, the demon, not leave when they told it to go? All right, you still with me? You picking up what I'm putting down? Jesus said it was because of their unbelief. Now, we're kind of breaking into a new section, so I'm going to ease you into it, then we'll come back and we'll dig into it next Wednesday. Is that okay? A really important verse in all of this is found previous, prior to this, previous to all this, also in Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Before you turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, I would like for you, if you do these sorts of things, uh, in Matthew 17, I would like for you to make a little note that, you know, there's something in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 that's, in, that's connected to this, okay? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like a little note in your margin. Amen. That's how important I believe this is. If you don't write in your Bible, I'm not, the, you know, I'm not, you're not going to show it to me before you leave or something like that, okay? It's all good. Amen. I hear some of you turning to Matthew 10, 1 already. What does Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 say? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says this, And when he, Jesus, called his twelve disciples to them, I'm sorry, and when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he, Jesus, gave them, the disciples, power over unclean spirits. To cast them out 
and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Okay, now why is that important? Because he had already given them the power to cast out unclean spirits. This is why he didn't say, boys, you're in over your head on this one. They weren't in over their heads. Now, I think it's pretty clear, but let's just nail it down. Whose authority over unclean spirits, whose power over unclean spirits did Jesus give to them? In other words, let me, I'm not trying to be mysterious here. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm wanting you to, sometimes I ask the question because sometimes if you let the Holy Spirit answer it for you, it seals it in your heart deeper than if I just tell you the answer, right? I'm trying to get you to think here. Jesus can't give to somebody else what he doesn't have already. So if, if I'm going to give you um, something that I have, when I give it to you, you're going to have what was once mine. You follow what I'm saying here? So when Jesus gave them power over unclean spirits, he gave them his power over unclean spirits. Did you already connect that dot? He didn't, it wasn't like he gave them power over unclean spirits beta version, power over unclean spirits light, power over unclean spirits, you know, <laughs> some weaker version. Power over unclean spirits is power over unclean spirits. In other words, I'm, I'm offering to you that Jesus gave to them the power over unclean spirits that His Father gave to Him. He delegated to them the authority and power over unclean spirits that had been given to Him. He simply gave to them what had already been given to Him. He commissioned them to do what He had been commissioned to do. He empowered them to do what He had been empowered to do. And He empowered them to do it with the same power that He had been empowered to do it with. Let me say it another way. Not only did they have available to them the power to cast that one devil out of that little boy, they had the same power in them to cast the legion of demons out of the older gentleman that had been possessed with demons for a long time. You seeing this? See, it's easy for us to say because of your unbelief, and that's accurate because certainly that's what Jesus said. But again, if we start looking at the unbelief, what was the unbelief? It wasn't just that faith was going to cast the devil out. It was faith that Jesus had given them power over that devil. In other words, it was faith in something that he had said to them. It was faith in something that he had imparted to them. It was faith in something that, that they possessed, that, 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 that belonged to them already. Are you seeing this? It wasn't just their, 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 the sheer, um, you know, faith, if you will. Let me give you, let me, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I got to finish. So I got to land this plane. You remember when Peter and John, they raised the, the, 
that lame man up at the temple gate. He, he was there and begging and, and, and they came by and he was asking them for stuff and they said, look man, we don't have any money today. Really, we don't have any money. But, but what we have, we will give to you. It wasn't just that they had faith. They had faith in something Jesus had given to them. Jesus had given to them power and authority to cast out unclean spirits, and He had given to them power and authority to heal sickness and disease, all kinds, all manners of sickness and disease. Okay? So, they took Him by the hand, they jerked him up in the name of Jesus. He was healed, leaping and jumping and praising God. It created no small stir there in the temple. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was amazed by it. And so now we're going to deliver the sermon. We're going to give the answer. Acts chapter 3, verse 16, last passage for tonight, and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it an evening. Are you good? Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Notice what he says here. Praise the name of the living God. Amen. There's a lot. We'll look at it later. Let me, I'm on verse 16. This is what he says. He says it was the name of Jesus. The power and authority in the name of Jesus is what brought healing to that man. And, but notice how they say it. And his name, he's the Prince of Life. And some of you were responsible. He's preaching here and he's saying to the crowd that was gathered in awe of this, he said, Jesus has done this. The name of Jesus has done this. The very Prince of Life that some of you were responsible for having him murdered, but he was raised from the dead. And now notice what he says. And his name, the name of Jesus, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given, through Jesus, has given him, this man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Again, we're troubleshooting unbelief. But what does that mean, unbelief? They did not believe that Jesus had given them power over the unclean spirit. Did he give it to them? Did he give it to them? Was what he gave them enough? In other words, Jesus would have said, look guys, I'm going I'm to give you some power over some unclean spirits, but, you know, I mean, just be careful what you get yourself into because some, some of the unclean spirits you're going to come in contact with, you know, what I'm giving you is not going to be enough. <laughs> None of that. This is why Jesus said this is so messed up. Because they had the power to cast the devil out of that little boy, but they didn't know it. Or let me say it a better way. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. And that's why he didn't come out because of unbelief. They had what it took, but didn't have faith that Jesus had given them what it took. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. Oh, I wish we could go another hour. My goodness, we got a lot to say here. Are you getting anything out of this? Yes. Amen. There's a reason why we're talking about this. And let me just go ahead and be honest with you. It's a whole lot easier to talk about other folks 
and their lessons, right? <laughs> Come on now. It's a, whole lot, it's a whole lot easier to talk about somebody else's unbelief. But in the process, we want to learn something about our own. We want to learn something about our own. What does this tell us about the importance and the power that's available to us through faith? Think about that for a minute. Faith was the difference here. Faith was the difference here. Amen. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, that every person in this room, every person in this room has been given the measure of faith. And every born again man or woman in this room has within them right now the capacity to cast out devils, speak with new tongues, tread upon all the power and authority of the enemy, and lay their hands on the sick and see the sick recover. That's what you said. That's the commission you gave. That's, what you, that's the words you released, Jesus. Help us to believe it, Holy Spirit. Help us to lay hold of it, Holy Spirit. Father, we're not trying to be silly with these words no more than I think you were being silly when your spirit whispered into my spirit, Lord. We, we want to become one who is very knowledgeable and very skilled in the ways of faith, having the ability to solve what would otherwise be impossible life problems, Lord. Teach us, Jesus. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Teach us, Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. If you think about us when you're with the Lord in the morning, just pray over the classes and meetings and training tomorrow. Good things coming.